Holy Spirit, come. Send revival to us. We're open. In fact, take a, take a moment right now and just say to the Lord, I'm open. Say anything you want to me today, Holy Spirit, and I'll respond with an open heart. Send revival to your church at Emmanuel and in our community. Reawaken us to your grace. Reawaken us to the possibilities of freedom from any addiction, freedom from all pain. It doesn't need to have a hold on us because all things are new in you. We are new creations. So Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us and we'll respond in obedience. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. One of the most famous children's books of all time is what I'm holding in my hand. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It's such a famous book that in 2014, Hollywood made a movie of it with Steve Carell. Alexander, the story begins with him going to bed with gum in his mouth, but waking up to gum in his hair. And when he got out of bed, he stepped on a skateboard and fell. And then when he was getting ready to go to school, his favorite sweater dropped in the sink while the water was running. And that's when he realized he was going to have a horrible, no good, very bad day. You ever had a terrible, horrible, very bad day? You ever had a day where you thought, I don't know how much more I can take of this? Or a season, or a year, or 17 months of horrible, terrible, very bad day. Question, how do spirit-filled, spirit-led Christians. I'm not just talking about cultural Christians. I'm not talking about a casual Christian. I'm talking about how do people who really have been transformed by Jesus Christ, who know what it means to be led by the Spirit of God, how do you handle seasons of your life when it's just one terrible horrible, very bad thing after another, after another, after another. Most of us can take one or two things happening to us, but when it comes to six, seven, eight, nine, when we go through seasons where life just piles right on on top of us and we go, oh, I don't know how much more I can take. How do spirit-filled Christians thrive in the middle of this? 
That's what today's about. I'm going to preach on three chapters of Acts. Fortunately, I'm not going to read all the verses. But it's Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, and Acts chapter 15. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 2 through 5. I'm in a series of messages this summer called Ghost Stories, How the Holy Spirit Changes Us and Changes Our World. And remember, we're in week like 12, I think, of 16. So we're coming down toward the end. But, But remember... The whole purpose of the book of Acts is to remind us that the story's not over. We are living out the book of Acts today. And the normal Christian life is supposed to be all in with Jesus. Not nominal, not I'm in, I'm out, I'm up, I'm down. The normal Christian life is to be spirit-led, spirit-filled. And in Acts chapter 13, 14, and 15, we hit a season in the life of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas where one thing happens after another. And you have to to begin to ask yourself the question, what on earth is going on here? So stand, would you please? Acts chapter 13. I'll begin reading in verse 2. One day... As these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Bow your heads. Holy Spirit, would you this moment take ancient words and turn them into life today for us? For your glory, Jesus and our edification. Amen. You may be seated. So the reason why these verses are important, the ones that I've just read to you, are because they describe the very first missionary journey in all of Christian history. In fact, if you have the New Living Translation and you have the, um, um, like a New Living Bible, it says the first missionary journey. So there is a group of Christians that were gathered together in a town called Antioch of Syria or Syrian Antioch. Now this is going to get really confusing because in the next few moments I'm going to summarize three chapters in about five minutes and you're going to, I'm going to say some of these names that you're like, I don't even know, I don't even care what these names are, but they're kind of fascinating, right? So in the ancient world there's two cities called Antioch. How confusing is that? There's Syrian Antioch, and then there's Pisidian Antioch. Syrian Antioch is in Syria, which is north of Israel. I've been to the border of Syria. It's beautiful. But then you have Pisidian Antioch, and that's basically central Turkey. So stop and think about it like this. There's an Athens, Greece, but there's an Athens, Georgia. And you can fly from Athens, Greece to Athens, Georgia. How confusing is that? 
Well, somehow the Holy Spirit spoke to the church there in Syrian Antioch and let it be known that Paul and Silas were to go on the very first missionary journey and preach the gospel outside of that localized area where they were at. And so they laid hands on them, they prayed over them, and boom, they're off. And oh, a little footnote, they, take, they took an assistant by the name of John Mark. That's going to become important at the end of chapter 15. It's just a little footnote now, but it's really important then. So... Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to go from Syrian Antioch. They go down to a seaport and they take a ship and they end up going to Cyprus. Why Cyprus? Well, it's probably because Barnabas is from Cyprus. He wanted to go home and preach the gospel to his family and friends. And he wanted Cyprus to come to Christ. So they land at a port in Cyprus and their, their normal way of functioning is they go from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue and they preach the good news of the gospel and here's what happens in Cyprus. I mean, one after the other, there's converts all over the place. I mean, it's like Billy Graham going from city to city to city in, in North America and we're like, whoa, unbelievable, God is unstoppable. And then they get to this one city, a very important city, Paphos. And it's where the governor lives. And they run across this guy, a sorcerer, named Bar-Jesus. How weird is that? Bar-Jesus. And this sorcerer doesn't want Paul and Barnabas to have any influence on the governor named Sergius Paulus. And weirdly, Paul puts a curse on him and says, you are an evil man, and he just puts a curse on him, and Bar-Jesus goes blind for some time. And you can imagine this, this powerful sorcerer who has an in with the governor, Sergius Paulus, and suddenly he's blind and he's having to be led, you know, and the governor finds out about what happened to Bar-Jesus, and he becomes a believer. Unbelievable. I mean, it's almost, you almost get the feel that all of Cyprus has turned to Christ, and their work is done. So Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to leave Cyprus, and they're going to go to an area called Pamphylia. That's actually like a state. So if Athens, Georgia, they end up, going to a little town in a seaport town in Pamphylia called Perga. I know it's confusing. Hang with me. So they end up at this little seaport town called Perga, and there John Mark weirdly goes home. What's up with that? Did he get homesick? Did he get physically sick? Did the rigors of the missionary journey, was it just too much for him? Was he too immature? Nobody knows. He just leaves. Okay. So Paul and Barnabas continue their missionary journey, and they go to the interior of Turkey, modern-day Turkey today, and they go to the other Syria, or I'm sorry, the other Antioch. See, I'm already messed up. It's... it's it's, um, what, what did I just say? Pisidian Antioch. That's where they go. 
It's a major city in the ancient world. And they preached the gospel in the synagogue, and it was so powerful that the synagogue people said, oh, come back next week. We want to hear more about this Jesus. So they come back next week, and the Bible says, Acts chapter 13, that basically the whole town turned out to hear Paul and Barnabas preach about Jesus. And it's almost like another Billy Graham crusade rally, except this time the Jewish religious authorities began to feel threatened, and they're like, uh, we can't have this happen. And so they ended up opposing Paul and Barnabas and making it very difficult for them. So Paul and Barnabas had to leave Pisidian Antioch and they just kind of like went on their way. So then they went to a town called Iconium in Turkey, which by the way, Iconium still exists today. You can still visit it. It's one of the ancient towns that's still in existence. And they preached the message. This, was, this is what happened. They would always, the apostle Paul and Barnabas would always do the same thing. They'd always go into the synagogue. They would preach in the synagogue and they would preach the next week. Then they would preach the next week. And that's how they got converts, right? But after a couple weeks of preaching in Iconium, all the Jewish religious leaders rose up against them and they threw Paul and Barnabas out of Iconium. Okay, Paul and Barnabas, they wipe themselves off. They go on to another town called Lystra or Lystra, depending upon how you want to pronounce it. And so they go there and they do the same exact thing and they get the same exact results. There's initial success and then boom, they get hit really hard with a backlash of, from the Jewish religious authorities. And this time they stone Paul, drag him out of the city, leave him for dead. But he's not. He gets up and then he goes to another town called Derby. He preaches in the synagogue, he gets great success, and nothing weird happens. It's all good. And it's almost like a little oasis in the desert of conflict. So after a little while in Derby, Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to go back the same way they came. They're going to go back to Lystra. They're going to go to Iconium. They're going to go to Pisidian Antioch. They're going to work their way back around and visit all the churches that they established. And you have to ask yourself the question, do these guys have a death wish? How crazy is that? But they did it. Then they get on a boat, they sail back around, and they end up right where they started, back at Syrian Antioch. And they're telling all the stories about how good God is and how crazy things happen. And, you know, this stone hit me here and I thought I was dead for sure, but I got revived and it's incredible stuff. But they're not able to rest in Syrian Antioch because about that time there were some <clears throat> prophets that came from Judea, remember Judea is in Israel, right? And these prophets were teaching in Syrian Antioch that in order for you to be a Christian, in order for you to follow Jesus, you basically had to become Jewish and get circumcised. Well, that flipped Paul and Barnabas out. I mean, they are like so opposed to this idea that you have to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus. And so they trek off to Jerusalem, that's Acts chapter 15, and they have this big council meeting. I mean, it's the big council meeting. They got Peter there. They got all of these people, you know, the, the big wigs. And they basically are trying to ask and answer one question. Are you saved by faith? in Jesus Christ, or do you have to follow the Mosaic law and become a Jew? That's a pretty important question, isn't it? Because the answer to that question is why you're here today. 
and we're not all Jewish. So after this big council meeting, the Apostle Paul is explaining how Gentiles, you and me if we're not Jews, Gentiles came to Christ and they didn't have to be circumcised. And basically this council of Jerusalem decides you don't have to become a Jewish person. You don't have to convert to Judaism in order to be a follower of Jesus. All you need to do is some basic things and they're they're kind of small, but they affirmed you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. That's why you and I are here today. So Acts chapter 15 ends with all of the bigwigs of the church standing around singing kumbaya. Oh, we're in unity. We love each other. Except it didn't happen. You know how Acts 15 ends? It ends with Paul and Barnabas planning their second missionary journey. And Barnabas wants to bring John Mark along with them like First missionary journey 2.0. And Paul doesn't want to do it. And Acts 15 ends with a conflict so huge that Paul and Barnabas split up. And Paul takes a great man named Silas and Barnabas takes John Mark and they go their own way preaching the gospel. Doesn't mean they didn't love each other, but sometimes Christians can agree to disagree. And that's how Acts 15 ends. Sort of on a downer note. Kumbaya. No, 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 he can't do that. Gone. Now here's the point. Acts 13, 14, and 15 are all about up and down living. It's all about life piling on one thing after another, after another, after another. No, I have a good day. No, I have five bad weeks. No, I have a good day. No, I have six bad weeks. You ever feel like that? You ever been in a place, a space in your head when you said to yourself, I don't know how much more of this I can take. Now, here's the question this morning. If you're a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, if you're sincerely trying to be led by the Holy Spirit, what do you do in seasons that are terrible, horrible, very bad? How do you react? Three things. Let's begin. First of all, I think that there needs to be a sense of having a realistic perspective about life. I think most of us think that if we're led by the Spirit, things are going to go easier and better. I would like to suggest that when you are really in Christ, when you're really sincere about following Jesus, life oftentimes doesn't get easier, it gets harder. Why is that? Well, Think about this. Nobody was happier than Jesus. Nobody lived a more fulfilling and satisfying life than Jesus. No one could question that Jesus was led by the Spirit his entire life. And yet Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Remember Acts chapter 13 verse 2. The Holy Spirit was the one that led Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. 
So you know what that tells me? That tells me that to be led by the Spirit can sometimes be very wonderful and very blessed and life is great and you're living in flow. You know what that means? That's a business term. It's when all that you are and all of your talents match up with all of the things that you're doing professionally and it doesn't even feel like work because you're just living in a space in which I was made for this. Yeah, there are moments like that in the Christian life. Absolutely. But there's also moments in which life gets pretty complicated and very hard. And sometimes the more you press into Christ, the harder things get. What? I really do think that particularly the brand of Christianity that we call American Christianity is we think that it's Jesus' job to make us happy. Well, the challenge of that is it is and not. I'm reading a book by Chip Ingram called The Invisible War. And in it, he says that there are five times in a Christian's life when he or she should expect spiritual attack from the devil and for life to get harder. One, times of spiritual growth. This is when you're taking significant steps of faith like memorizing scripture or getting serious about studying the Bible and getting serious about your prayer life. And it shouldn't surprise us that when we take a step forward in spiritual growth that our spiritual enemy rises up and does everything he can to distract you. Second, invading enemy territory. What does this mean? It means times in which you share your faith or you go on a missions trip, or you decide that you're going to reach out in your community for the sake of Christ. Satan doesn't like it when you enter into his territory in the name of Christ. Third, exposing Satan's tactics. Uh, this coming January, we're going to spend 31 days of prayer and fasting. And I'm going to preach five messages on overcoming the devil in spiritual warfare. Now, I told Holly that a couple weeks ago. I said, Holly, I've got this brilliant idea. I really feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me in January. I'm going to preach five messages on spiritual warfare. And she looked at me and said, oh, don't do that. <laughs> and I said, why not? She goes, you know what's going to happen. Because every time you talk about overcoming the devil and every time you talk about what it means to be living victoriously over the devil in spiritual warfare, stuff always happens in our family. Cars break down, washing machines break down, somebody gets sick, somebody has a conflict in our family, Holly and I always go through a rough time. I mean, just one thing after another. Why is that? Now, I suppose you could say, well, you know, that's just coincidental. Yeah, but it's happened to me too many times to think it's coincidental. Because whenever you begin to expose how Satan operates, it's like him going, no, 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 no. And he does everything he can to take down that person. Number four, breaking with the world. Satan will attack you when you repent of longstanding sins and make a clean break from them. When a couple who's been living together 
decides that they're not going to live together anymore and they're either going to split up or they're going to get married because they want to honor Christ, all hell breaks loose. When you decide that you're going to face your pornography addiction in seriousness, when you're going to do everything that you know possible to face your own addiction, all hell breaks loose. When a person who's been struggling with alcohol decides that they're going to go to treatment, all hell breaks loose. It just does. Because Satan senses that when you are gaining ground and you make a clean break from a sinful habit or attitude, he's like, I'm losing power. And he'll throw everything at you. Lastly, future blessings. When God sets his mind on blessing you because of your faithfulness, usually before the blessing, there is an attack spiritually. And life gets very, very challenging for you. This is why I always talk when, when, when couples who are struggling in their marriage, you know, we sit down and talk about it. I'll always say to them, you may be this far from a breakthrough. Hang in there. When somebody's struggling in their job and all they want to do is to just quit, but they don't have another job. I always say to them, stop, don't quit before you have another job. You may be this far from a blessing. And I have found that to be true in my own life. Satan pours things on and we just have to hang on and persevere and get through it because on the other side, there's a blessing. God is building perseverance inside of us. So this was Chip Ingram's five five times when life gets more difficult. Now, can I tell you, if you take these five times and you apply them to Acts 13, 14, and 15, every one of them works out. The apostle Paul and Barnabas, they're invading the enemy's territories. All hell breaks loose. People are growing spiritually. I mean, lots of great things are happening. Bam, 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 bam. And that's the same thing in your life. We should be realistic. I think most American Christians would like to see the Christian life as a playground. It is not. It is a battleground. Read Ephesians. Number two, what should you do when you're in a season when it feels like life just piles one thing on top of another and you're just wondering, how much more can I take? Well, you keep doing the right thing and you trust God for the results. That's what you do. That's what I do. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there. The apostles stayed there. The apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. When life piles one thing after another on top of you, it is easy to get derailed. It is easy to stop. It is easy to get out and just say, I'm going to sit on the sidelines for a while. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit is the one who led Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey. And whether they had good days or bad days, it was of no consequence to them. They knew they were being led by the Holy Spirit. So how do you do that? 
How do you keep doing the right thing day in and day out when life piles on top of you? There's only one answer. It's an ancient answer. You keep yourself spiritually and emotionally well-fed. You make sure that your tank is full. You know what I'm worried about these days? The church running around on half empty when you have all of the Holy Spirit available to you. There's no reason why you and I shouldn't be living out of overflow of the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans chapter 12, verses 11 and 12 says, do not burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Don't quit in hard times. Instead, pray all the harder. So I really like Rick Warren. And um, it was interesting, I read an article last uh, month, Rick Warren is entering into retirement, and he said he promised the Lord he would give a church 40 years. And 40 years was last year, and it was a COVID year, so he's like, I can't, I can't retire in the middle of COVID, so he just went to 41 years. But he has now announced that they're seeking his replacement. He's been a pastor of Saddleback Church for 40 years. In the beginning of COVID, he preached a message called the Ten Commandments for Emotional Health during COVID-19. That was the message. And I thought it was brilliant. So I'm going to give you his Ten Commandments. Don't worry about writing them down. You can go back and listen to the message or just pick one that's meaningful to you. But he stood up before his congregation of tens of thousands of people and said, look, if you're going to make it through COVID, you got to follow these Ten Commandments. And they're all about keeping fueled up. You ready? Number one, show grace to yourself and to others. James chapter four, verse six says, God loves to give more grace. He opposes the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. Show yourself some grace in difficult times. During COVID, this is not the moment for you to keep hammering yourself about what you're not. You're in a crisis Treat yourself gently. I've said this to the staff several times in the past 17 months, and it's okay for me to say it to them because I'm saying it to you. I am not at my best, and I haven't been for 17 months. You're not, to, you're not at your best either because we're in a storm. It's okay. I say to the staff all the time, you've got to check me because maybe I'm going the wrong direction. And you have every right to just say, Mark, I think you're going the wrong direction. I don't think anybody's at their best at this moment. There's an underlying anxiety. There's an underlying depression. There's a big underlying anger issue in our culture right now. I'm at Planet Fitness as I am Monday through Friday all the time. And, and, and I know this one guy, I'm not going to mention his name. We don't have any relationship outside of Planet Fitness, but we know each other and we have conversation when we happen to show up together. He went off this week on the new CDC guidelines. I mean, he was yelling and we were four stations away from each other. And I'm like, I'm try, I, I mean, I'm trying to make it look like he's not talking to me. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you know what I mean? Because he's off. Nobody is at their best at this moment. Show yourself and other people some grace. Treat yourself gently. 
Okay, I can't do these Ten Commandments and comment on each one. Okay. Okay, number two, start and end each day refueling your soul. Psalm 92.2, every morning thank God for his love and every evening thank him for his faithfulness. Start and end the day with the Lord. Number three, set and stick with a simple routine. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, carefully consider how you live. Live wisely, not foolishly. Make the most of your time because these are difficult, evil days. One of the best things that you can do when you're going through a period of time that's dark, horrible, terrible, awful, a really bad day, one of the, one of the best things you can do is to set a routine and stick to it. Stop watching so much news. I'm holding myself back. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus said, your eye is the lamp of your body. If your wisdom, if your vision is good, your whole being will be full of light. But if you're focused on the bad, your life will be full of darkness. Can I just say this? The news makes money on breeding fear. That's how they make money. If you will sit and watch the news or scroll through on Facebook and click on every single, it's baiting you. The title of the article is going to bait you to pull you in. It's designed to make you fearful and angry no matter what news outlet it is. Okay, schedule a daily connection with people that you love. Speak encouraging words to each other. Build up hope so that you'll be all together in this with no one left out and no one left behind. I know you're already doing this, but keep on doing it, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says. Just check in with people who you love. Share your feelings instead of stuffing them. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's troubles and problems and in this way obey the law of Christ. I've stuffed my feelings. It's never a good thought or feeling to stuff your feelings. It's much better to share them appropriately. Seek advice before making major decisions. Proverbs 15, 22, our plans often fail because we do not seek advice, but listening to good counsel will bring success. I've said this many times to the staff and to myself and to you. This is now, this is not the moment to be making a major decision. We're in a crisis. We're in a pandemic. Try, if you can, to not make a major decision because you're not at your best. Space renewal breaks throughout your day. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31. Even young people become exhausted and give, give up too soon, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like eagles. They'll keep running and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow weak. Schedule moments of renewal throughout the course of your day. Every couple hours, get up, walk around the building. Do whatever you have to do to just get your mind off of whatever you're doing and then jump back into it. All right, commandment number nine. Serve someone suffering more than you. 
Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous prosper and are satisfied. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It is so easy when life piles on top of you to get tunnel vision and to think that everything that you're going through is the worst and you just think about yourself all day long. One of the ways in which you renew your soul is by finding somebody else who's going through a tougher time than you are and helping them out. It brings perspective. And then lastly, control the controllable and trust God for the rest. James 2.22, we see that Abraham's faith and his actions work together. His faith was made complete by what he did. Control what is yours to control and leave the rest to God. Anxiety increases when we begin to fret over things we don't even have control over. And we try to control them. So I've given you 10. I know it's a lot. Did one of them just stick out to you? Then take that one and feed on it over the next few days. Control what you can control. Leave the rest to God. But you've got to get yourself at the place where you can refuel your tank. Charles Spurgeon said 150 years ago to to pastors, he had a theological school in England, Charles Spurgeon said that your body is the tool that God has given you for his glory, but it's your job to take care of it. If you don't take care of you, nobody else is going to take care of you. God has charged you to take care of you. We call that soul care. And nobody can do it but you for yourself. You want to last the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You don't want to burn out next year. And if you find yourself burned out right at this moment, go back and see where am I trying to over control? What am I trying to do? Take take these 10 and say, wait a minute, let's do some soul care here. Okay, number three, lastly. What do you do when life piles on top of you one thing after another? You let the Holy Spirit do a deeper work in you. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9 is the Apostle Paul making a comment on one of his missionary journeys. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed, we were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead but as a result we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead what is the purpose of terrible horrible no good very bad seasons of life what's the purpose of Acts 13 Acts 14 Acts 15 the apostle Paul just said it There were times on this missionary journey in which he was so overwhelmed in despair, he didn't know what he was going to do. But all these things happened to him so that he would stop relying on himself and start relying only on the Lord. What's the purpose of times when life piles on top of you? The purpose is for you to become more like Jesus. And the purpose is for you and I to lean into the Lord like never before. When life crushes us, 
when life piles one big thing after another on top of us, when we go through the terrible, horrible, no good, awful days, you know what we do? We run to the Lord. We don't run to TV. We don't run to medication. We don't run to our addictions. We don't run away from church. We run to the Lord. And in doing that, we discover that he is more than sufficient. So here's how I'd like to end. The worship team is going to sing a closing song. During that time, if you feel like you've been going through a season where life has piled one thing on top of you and you just want to talk to the Lord about that, I'm going to ask you to get up in the middle of the song and just come to the altar. No one's going to bother you. No one's going to ask you any questions. It's just a moment between you and the Lord. We're going to live out exactly what the Apostle Paul said, so that we may rely only on the Lord. You just come to the altar, you just pour out your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, here's where I'm at at this moment. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed out. I'm anxious. I'm trying to control things that aren't mine to control. And I'm going to give you what I can't control and see what God will do this week.